0: This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. My um, guest is Philippe Manache MD. Uh, we're going to be talking about stem cell-derived extracellular vesicles for the treatment of heart failure. So uh, Philippe, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you. Yeah, so you're, you're studying how to uh, help people in heart failure using stem cells? Correct. Yes. Okay. So uh, can you give a few details on uh, what kind of mechanisms are you trying to do this and uh, how it's working? Well, uh, I think that uh,
1: nobody really knows how
0: the cells are working.
1: What it uh, seems, however, is that the cells do not permanently engraft in the myocardium once they have been transplanted because it has been a consistent observation that after a couple of days or weeks, they just disappear. And nevertheless, at the same time point, that is, At a time where cells have gone, you still may have a functional benefit. And this uh, temporal discrepancy has uh, given rise to the so-called paracrine hypothesis, whereby it is assumed that uh, during their stay, their transient stay in the heart, cells release a wide uh, blend of biomolecules which uh, current uh, harness endogenous reaper pathways. And so uh, currently many groups, including ours, are focusing on this uh, paracrine mechanism and on the use of uh, the molecules secreted by the cells since uh, it really seems that they can recapitulate the protective effects of the mother cells. So that's basically... Well, the can we,
0: uh, uh, yeah? quick, quick, can we... Can you can you restate that a little bit more simply? So you're when someone has heart failure, are you injecting stem cells or are you recruiting endogenous stem cells to repair the heart? And uh, you said they don't last long before they what they they leave the heart. Or I mean, can you can you recap what you said you know uh, in a little bit simpler way? Yes. Well,
1: once you you transplant cells in the heart,
0: they disappear. They just
1: die. And nevertheless, you mm-hmm. get some improvement. So the hypothesis is that the repair comes from the heart itself, stimulated by molecules secreted by the transplanted cells uh, as long as they are sure.
0: present. So are you looking for ways to uh, force the cells to stay there longer or to keep them alive longer? Like, Do, do they die in the heart or are they carried away out of the heart? The cells no, they're not. Plant?
1: They they die in the heart, and what you mentioned is one approach that some groups are pursuing to try to keep them alive for a longer period of time. I think it's a very challenging objective for a variety of reasons which probably we don't have time to detail. So we better try to uh, recapitulate their protective effects by using the factors that they secrete and which uh, probably underpin their effects. And this is what I call the secretome. That is the uh, the bulk of, uh, of factors released by the cells. But the, what what you mentioned that is trying to keep them alive is another approach. And I think nobody has the truth. So you just have to explore a different path, and see uh, what will happen.
0: So have you been able to isolate what is being secreted by the stem cells that is affecting the heart in a positive way? I mean, are they do you even know the mechanism of using exosomes, you know, like fluid-filled vesicles that have various things in them to, to stimulate the heart? Do you know, what's, you know how it's working? Yeah, well,
1: we, we know, well, it's a collective we. I mean, people working in the field know that extracellular vesicles, which are nanoparticles secreted by the cells, play an important role in intracellular communication. However, um, there are other factors than the extracellular vesicles. There are soluble um, cytokines and growth factors and so on. And probably the whole mixture is important. It's difficult to, um, to say this is the factor or this is the factor, that factor, which is uh, uh, the most effective. Uh, there is mounting evidence that actually you need all the factors, you need all the soup to be there uh, to be functionally effective. But obviously, you, uh, you can characterize the soup and uh, know fairly precisely now with modern tools what is inside. What is difficult then to say is uh, that the effect is specifically related to this or that component, but you can map the composition, yes, of, of the secretome and, and have a fairly good idea of what these cells uh, release.
0: Well, uh, are they releasing tons of different, you know, chemicals or is it just a few? Yeah. I mean, no. even if you can characterize it, you know, are you still stuck? No, if you just
1: focus on extracellular vesicles, for example, which is an heterogeneous class of nanoparticles, exosomes are just part of them, but uh, the other particles and the exosomes, uh, you, can, you can have uh, more than thousands of proteins and lipid rafts and non-coding nucleic acids. So we're talking about hundreds or thousands of factors. And we know that the predicted targets of these factors in the heart can explain some cardioprotection. Why? Because some of the targets, for example, are fibrosis. These factors may reduce fibrosis as well as inflammation which, as you know, is a very important component of heart failure. Um, we know that other targets are angiogenesis. So these factors can stimulate the growth of new vessels. Um, so, yes, it makes sense to, to, to relate the composition of the secretome with some of the signaling pathways leading to cardioprotection.
0: Do, um, do the stem cells... Change what they secrete when they are injected into the heart, or are they always secreting it? I would guess that they're receiving signaling from the heart itself, and that causes them to change their secretome uh, profile, and that's what's beneficial in the heart.
1: Well, that's an excellent point, and it, you're, you're probably right. Now, probably um, the the nature of the compounds which are released, as well as the time course of this release is influenced by the microenvironment of the cells what is striking however is that although you admit and that's probably true that the secretome that you can collect in vitro once the cells are cultured in the petri dish the secretome is likely different from the secretome which is released in vivo once the cells have been transplanted and nevertheless across a very wide variety of preclinical models, not only in the heart, but also in the brain, in the liver, in the kidney, in the eye, you, you can have, for the, the studies which have uh, used has, head-to-head comparisons, you can have really similar effects by transplanting the mother stem cells or by injecting the cell-derived secretome. So even though... Once again, you're right. The secret home that you collect in vitro is probably not exactly the one which is released in vivo. At the end of the day, when you use it appropriately, it can have positive effects which equal those of the mother cells.
0: Oh, so it's essentially good enough or close to being good enough by, uh, you know, in a petri dish, having the cells generate some secret home and that, uh, that being injected works. Oh, yeah, well, oh. what do you mean then? Well, again, uh, you said in vivo, the uh, the stem cells, the profile of what they secrete is a bit different from what they'll yeah, do, it, you know, in a in a petri dish. But is it "quote unquote" good enough where it's you know, it can heal the heart enough that it makes a big difference? Well, or does um, it have to be in vivo.
1: No, uh, at the end of the day, as I just mentioned, the the outcomes are similar. So I would okay. say it's enough. It's enough to collect appropriately the secretome in vitro to recapitulate, to duplicate the cardioprotective effects of the parental cells.
0: Okay, so is this uh, robust enough to be like a, a protocol that's being used, or is it uh, still a long ways to go for it to be effective?
1: Well, uh, probably some way to go, but uh, our group, for example, is already in the process of the so-called translational phase to adapt bench techniques to procedures that could be used in humans, and we're actually planning for a a clinical trial. I can't tell you when exactly. depends on a couple of things, but, you know, extracellular vesicles, for example, have already been used clinically, and you already have a bunch of uh, clinical trials using extracellular vesicles in settings different from heart failure, but I mean, it, it looks safe at least. Uh, in the indications in which uh, they have been used, so I don't think it's something completely unrealistic. Even though uh, there are still a couple of uh, unknown factors that need to be uh, that need to be uh, uh, addressed.
0: Well, okay, so uh, so you're injecting this material directly into what the uh, the wall of the heart or the damaged muscle? Well, they're different. Where is this going?
1: Okay. There are different approaches. I don't think that the snapshot injection in the heart is likely to be very beneficial because you can anticipate that the fluid that you inject will be rapidly washed away. So if you inject directly in the heart, and this is something that can be done, for example, during a cardiac surgical procedure Just remind you that I am a clinical cardiac surgeon. You can, and this actually is being done experimentally, and we're working on that. You can functionalize a biomaterial and use the biomaterial as a platform which uh, will release your secret home over time in a controlled fashion. So that would uh, allow the myocardium to be exposed to the secret home for a much longer period of time. Now, there are other approaches which are currently under investigation. Nobody really knows what's going to come out from there. But I think uh, these are uh, interesting approaches worth to be explored. And this is the intravenous approach. Uh, one big advantage is that it's a non-invasive approach, and as such, it can be repeated. And probably repeating administrations of the secret home or actually of the cells Uh, is something which has been shown to be beneficial. I think that it's doubtful that uh, a single delivery of cells or of the secret home can really have long-lasting therapeutic effects. So we are actually extensively working now on the IV approach precisely in the perspective of repeated deliveries.
0: What about just um, flowing the cells through the heart as you know as blood flows through the heart are you able to uh you know upstream of the heart what if you just injected a whole bunch of stem cell derived vesicles with the secret home in them they flow through the heart and out would that be enough to cause any effect or does it have to be injected into the heart wall into the heart muscle in certain spots
1: um i i don't have the answer for you because i'm not aware of any study which has really looked at this approach i think that um if you reason my analogy with what has been shown when you inject in the coronary arteries, uh, bone marrow stem cells, for example, as it has been done uh, in patients with acute MIs, uh, really your, your cells uh, don't stay in the coronary vasculature, and they're just washed away, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, they are found in the lungs or in the spleen or in the liver. So. Uh, I'm not sure that um, this would be the most effective ways uh, way of uh, of having your cells or your secret home reaching the heart. Now, there is another approach which is currently being considered and which consists of engineering the extracellular vesicles with ligands which target receptors expressed on the heart just to accelerate their homing to the areas of injury when you inject them intravenously, and this is something I think
0: very interesting. Well, what makes the uh, the cells die? How long does it take, and, and you know what um, actually is the cause of death? Are they denied nutrition? Are they being signaled to, you know, undergo apoptosis? I mean, what's the mechanism?
1: Yes, there are different factors. Uh, number one, uh, they incur a real physical stress. At the time of the injection, just look at the uh, the size uh, of a syringe and the size of the needle, and you can easily understand that they uh, undergo a terrible shear stress, which is damaging for them. Number two, as you just mentioned, by definition, you put them in areas which are pretty vascularized, and so uh, they will obviously miss some oxygen and nutrients to keep them alive. Number three. Uh, The injection by itself creates a local inflammation, which can also be damaging for the transplanted cell. Number four, if you're using allergenic cells, you can trigger an immune response, which will further contribute to cell death. And last but not least, when you inject cells in suspension, they lose the uh, survival signals associated with their anchorage to an extracellular matrix. And the fact that they are just floating uh, free without attachment to a matrix is something which also contributes uh, to their death. So as you see, there are multiple causes of cell death. And that's why trying to tackle each of them for keeping them alive for a long period of time is really a challenging task.
0: So I'm sure some groups are trying to, uh, I guess, you know, maybe do a small implant of a patch. That represents an extracellular matrix that the stem cells can sit in and then they avoid the shear of being injected and maybe perhaps that they would live longer that way. They would. And this has been extensively tested in
1: in the embryonic stem cell trial, clinical trial that we completed now two years ago. The study was completed two years ago. The uh, The cardiac cells that we have been using, and these were cells derived from human embryonic stem cells were actually embedded in a fibrin patch, just as you mentioned, with the idea to keep the cells uh, alive for a long period of time, which actually probably happened, but not to the point that they would survive forever. So you just, you know, lengthen the period during which they may be present, but you don't really succeed in keeping them fully alive in large amounts at least uh, for months or years. But definitely, if you are using stem cells uh, directly in the heart, as we do in surgery, uh, it's probably a much more efficient way to do as we have done with fibrin, but you can do that with any kind of biomaterial, honestly, uh, synthetic or natural. It, it's much more effective to uh, incorporate cells in a biomaterial acting as a platform than injecting them just straight ahead because then you're sure that many of them are going to die very rapidly.
0: Well, how long do they need to live to be effective? What's
1: the ballpark? Well, this is also a difficult question. Nobody really knows how long they have to be there for having enough time for releasing the factors. But people are talking about a couple of days or weeks, not months, and... um, we had you know, fixed the time limit to four weeks in the clinical trials that we've been doing. That's why we gave immunosuppression to the patient just for four weeks. But maybe it's much quicker. It might be much quicker because it's known that if nanoparticles, extracellular vesicles and exosomes are key mediators of the protective effects of the cells, they can be shuttled to the recipient cells to deliver their cargo uh, very rapidly. It's a matter of hours, so maybe the cells don't need to be there for a very long time to really be effective. But the precise time limit has not been
0: really defined. Well, I mean, how long does it take for the heart to heal to various percentages? You know, on average, does it take a month to it to get to fifty percent better, or? Yeah, you know, and I'm sure it has diminishing returns over time. Um, you you mean uh, once you have
1: injected the cells, how long does it take for them to uh, to demonstrate their therapeutic benefit? If it's the question, it, you probably have to wait at least one or two months. It, it's not something that happens too rapidly. Uh, usually it, it's thought that between one and three months, you could start to see an improvement if there is an improvement.
0: That's the order where, of where do the. Um, okay. Where do the stem cells come from in the heart natively? Uh, where, where are they kept in the heart? Are they all over the heart in various tissues or are they in a certain spots? Well, first of all, uh, there are
1: serious discussions as to whether there are stem cells or not in the heart. So <laughs> that's the first point. And you're aware of the controversy about a C-kit. Uh, story and all the uh, problems with Harvard with the retraction of the papers claiming that the heart harbored secret positive stem cells, which has been shown not probably to be true. Um, now if if there are uh, stem cells in the heart they are probably located in very tiny niche um, in the in the left ventricle, Possibly also on the right side of the heart, but the precise mapping of these cells is not really being done. One reason being that there is still the question as to whether the heart really harbors stem cells or not. And uh, so it's, it's difficult to, to uh, definitely answer your question.
0: Yeah, I just didn't know if they travel uh, a certain path from a certain place to a certain place and how many different types of stem cells there are in the heart you know, and why they're active for certain, you know, issues in the heart and not active for others. I don't know if there's, is there a lot of knowledge there or is it, uh, is there a lot, so much to know that it's hard to figure it out? No, what is known is that probably at the
1: time of birth, there are stem cells which are able to heal an area of injury. And this has been shown in congenital heart surgery, for example. But it seems that after a couple of weeks of, of life, these uh, stem cells disappear, and that, uh, again, it's not sure that the adult heart, in particular if the adult heart has already been challenged by an injury, whatever it is, uh, it's not sure that these stem cells persist through adulthood. Uh, So the only thing which is pretty sure is that we, we are born with a small capital of stem cells in the heart. But it really seems that this capital is rapidly exhausted after birth. And you know, the, the, this has been very well shown in, in mouse models. If you amputate the apex of the left ventricle in a neonatal mouse, it will heal and regenerate completely. Now, if you wait for, say, eight days after birth and you do the same procedure, the amputation of the apex, then you will get a scar.
0: So is there zero healing in adult hearts, or is there only a, t- a small amount observed? Well, know, probably, well th- there is there is some spontaneous
1: healing uh, facilitate by, by inflammation. But by definition, this healing is not enough to prevent heart failure in many patients. So the endogenous capacity of the heart to self-repair is not sufficient for avoiding, you know, severe dysfunction of the pump and that's actually the basis of heart failure. And this is also the main rationale for providing stem cells or the secret home of stem cells to try to boost these endogenous pathways to awake them, so to speak, if if it is possible, at least this is the
0: underlying hypothesis. Well the reason I ask is maybe there is a little bit of healing going on, but competitively the scarification wins out. So maybe there's a way to dampen the scarification to allow the uh, you know the small amount of endogenous healing to occur. Maybe that's a, another path. That's why I asked if there's any healing at all.
1: Well, you're right, and this is one of the postulated mechanisms of why uh, arts uh, stem cells or their uh, byproducts. That is to um, to mitigate uh, the development of fibrosis, uh, and so to um, to allow the heart to be more flexible, less stiff, and to pump better. Um, so, yes, th- this is one of the
0: targets. So what's, uh, what's the end goal with your research? What would it look like if it was you know, highly successful? What, what elements would it need to have about it? Well,
1: you know, the story is that, as I just briefly uh, mentioned, we completed these first in-man clinical trial. Using you know human embryonic stem cell derived uh, cardiac cells, cardiac progenitor cells, and we found, as others experimentally at least uh, at the time I was doing the study clinically, but well, we found in the lab that these protective effects of our cardiac cells uh, were really duplicated, could be duplicated by administering the uh, secretome of the cells. so now, what could be a success for us is uh, just to keep the cells, but outside of the body, just to use them as ex vivo bioreactors, biofactories, and take the secret home. It's exactly what we are currently doing and giving in repeated fashion the secret home to patients uh, with the hope of improving their outcomes. So this is the objective. And obviously, if it does work, that will be very successful. But whether it will work or not, this is, I don't know. This is ongoing research.
0: Well, so how long are you able to keep the cells alive? And you said another approach was to do repeated injections, or they last just long enough, you know, continuously enough to keep oh, well, the healing going. It, no, in, in, what I mean
1: is that repeated injections in our protocol, future protocol now, is repeated injections of the secret home. So it's not an issue to keep the cells alive in culture and having mm-hmm. large numbers, of them creating large volumes of secret home, which can then be cryopreserved, and used as an off-the-shelf product. This is very much more convenient uh, in terms of practicality.
0: So where are you at with the trial? Have you tried this in uh, in humans yet, or are you not at that point? Is it just being done in mice? No, uh,
1: I, I told you we are in the translational phase. That is, we have designed the methods in the lab. We, we know exactly what we want, and we are now transferring the procedures from uh, a lab bench, you know, setting to GMP facilities uh, certified for human use. So uh, we are really now adapting the procedures and we still have a lot of quality controls to to ensure that the product is reproducible and and so on. So, but we we are really in this phase which precedes uh, hopefully uh, a phase one safety and feasibility trial, hopefully not in, in not too long, time, but uh, I will be very cautious
0: regarding calendars. Right, right, of course. Who is the ideal candidate for this in your mind? You know, what kind of uh, heart disease and how far along and, you know, what are some parameters that you think would make a good candidate?
1: Well, I think heart failure is obviously our target indication and probably not exclusively ischemic heart failure, which has been the subject of most clinical trials so far but also non-ischemic cardiomyopathies, which, as you know, are very frequent now, and for which therapeutic options are actually more limited than for ischemic conditions. So this is the kind of patients that
0: we are targeting. So ischemic meaning you have a heart attack, part of the heart tissue dies, the scar is over, and this happens X number of times and reduces the heart function to the point where now it's failing. That's ischemic, right? Correct. And then right. cardiomyopathy, just what's the, how does that happen? Just briefly. Well, you know,
1: if you have massive destruction of a, a large area of the heart, obviously you, you lose a um, million, not to say billion, of uh, cardiomyocytes contracting cells, and you get a deterioration of the pump function, and the heart dilates, and then you get into heart failure. So this is really the condition which we are uh, dealing with, and for which we are uh, proposing this new therapy.
0: Okay, well, yeah, very good. Um, any any nuances about this process that we haven't discussed that are surprising to you, or you know, feel like uh, it's going to be a critical part of the process, or it's it's just a very uh, I don't know, it's just a surprising thing to you that you've discovered. Uh, could could you just explain what you were? Um... Any anything that you've uh, you know in your research. What, what surprised you most? Is it that, you know, the number of different uh, chemicals and things in the secret home itself? Is it, uh, I mean, what, what surprises you most about what you do? Well, the, the surprise
1: actually, uh, because this was rather unexpected, although some people had uh, raised this paracrine hypothesis long ago. But the surprise was really that uh, it seemed that the effect of the cells could be reproduced in a simpler way by injecting, say, the cellular juice. So th- this is really, this has been a, a surprise for us. Now, n- it doesn't mean that using the secret home is uh, much, much simpler than using the cells. So let's say that the challenges, the technical challenges are different uh, and might be at the end of the day easier to tackle, but it's not really something uh, trivial as well. But, um The once again, the surprising thing is that just by injecting a bunch of uh, of factors, you can possibly reproduce uh, what has been done with the stem cells themselves.
0: Okay, well, very good. What's the best way for people to find out more about uh, the work and to keep tabs on, you know, when the phase one trials will begin and get in touch?
1: Well, regarding the phase one, uh, there is nothing published so far. We've published a couple of uh, papers about extracellular vesicles we have another one uh which is going to be submitted uh, within next days or so showing that the secret home for example doesn't seem to be immunogenic which is important because uh Mm -hmm. it should not be rejected um and so just looking at pubmed and uh doing exosomes and heart failure or eventually uh uh typing my name uh might uh lead your, um, your um, readers uh, to, uh, to some key papers, summarizing uh, what has been done in the field so far. I've also written a couple of general reviews, uh, which eventually could be useful for those interested.
0: That's great. Well, Philippe, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you very much for the invitation.